0: Hello and welcome to the fourth episode of the Why Behind the What. My name is Nathan Albert and I am, as always, so glad you are with me today. Uh, First things first, thank you to you, yes you listening right now, uh, and to those of you who have shared this podcast on social media, it is incredibly humbling and exciting to know that you are spending a little time with me through listening to this podcast. I'm glad uh, and thankful that Uh, hopefully it's resonating with you in some way. If you've got a few minutes uh, and you've been listening to the show and you've been liking it, would you mind posting a short review up on iTunes? That would be really helpful for the show and uh, I would really appreciate that. Last week's show was so fun. Did you listen? You should. It was with Jeff Crady, a good friend of mine. He starred in a few shows on Broadway. Uh, We performed together uh, at some theaters. and Most recently, he was in A Gentleman's Guide to Love and Murder, which was a phenomenal show. If you haven't listened to that episode, go back and do so. It's called Tap Dancing Dresses and Jeff Grady. Now, on today's show, I have the privilege of interviewing another actor. He's also a pastor, a filmmaker, a storyteller. He's a creative He's a husband and father. He's out in the Bay Area. His name is Tony Gapastone. He and I have mutual friends, and it seems we've been running in similar circles over the years, but just recently uh, got connected through Twitter. Uh, so I'm glad he's on the show today. He recently released a film called 1440 and Counting, and we'll be talking about that. And in just a matter of a few weeks, uh, he starts
1: production on his second film called Neighbor. So with that, Tony Welcome to the show. Hey, Nathan. Thanks for saying my name right. Yeah, I tried. That's good. I I, always tell people there's no gas and there's no piss in it, so it's stone. There you (laughs) go.
0: Yeah. Most people think my first name is Albert, so, you know. You kind of have two first names, huh? I do. I do. So, Tony, tell us a little bit about yourself. Where do you live? Kind of what's your history, family life? How did you get to where you are today? Kind of fill us in.
1: Well, man, it's funny because, you know, we've connected online and we've got all these mutual friends and you have this North Park connection. I kind of feel we have these parallel lives in a way, but we're on opposite sides of the country. I uh, grew up in Chicago, came out to California right after I graduated North Park University, which has a huge place in my spiritual development. I loved Chicago. I loved growing up in that community. I came to faith when I was a teenager through some amazing dudes who were living it out in their teen years and really transformed my life. I thought I was going to become a Hollywood actor. And uh, I kind of got the message early on that, you know, if you wanted to follow Jesus, And be an actor, you can only do like mimes on a Sunday during, you know, or during youth group.
0: (laughs) Do bad church theater,
1: right? (laughs) So I played, you know, Jesus exercising demons many times. (laughs) And I played Joseph and then whatever else. Uh, But I came out to California after getting my degree in ministry, uh, theology, um, master's in Fuller, blah, blah, blah. And uh, I've been on staff with the church for 18 years. Wow. Crazily enough, my wife and I met through this church, and we have three daughters. But the funny thing is, is about 10 years ago, I felt like God started doing this thing in me where he was sort of calling me out and saying, hey, you know, those desires and those dreams you had years ago were actually from me, and they're not evil <laughs> or sinful. They're actually things I'm going to use and uh, bring you life and change others' lives. So. I get to be a worship arts pastor, and I'm also working on acting and filmmaking here, too.
0: Gotcha. Gotcha. So um, I love that. I I resonate with that. Like, uh, I remember when I was in high school and even college majoring in musical theater performance. First off, everyone said you can't do it as a career, like have a backup plan. But especially like the faith aspect, you know, there, there was a lot of stereotypes of, oh, that's a it's a dangerous world. Or yeah, only right. do theater in the church rather than be an artist and a you know a faith person in the artist community. Um, did you wrestle with that, like the kind of the secular sac- sacred divide?
1: Well, I remember when I was in my second year of following. Maybe it was my first. I forget. I was in a play in Rockford, Illinois. And it wait, was, you uh,
0: in Rockford? That's yeah. where I, that's where I went to college.
1: Where? Which school? I went to Rockford College. No way, dude. I went to Rock Valley. Nice. <laughs> uh, community yeah. college for you? three years. And you did a the theater there, right? <laughs> I did, Or yeah. Starlight, so or what? I did. Studio oh, and Starlight. Man. Get out. So huge shout out to director Mike Webb, who was really influential in my life at that time. Gave me the hardest time. Challenged me and pushed me in so many ways in my, uh, not only in my craft of acting, but really in my faith, too. Uh, Because I was really, you know, getting these messages right from the church that hey, you know, to be a follower of Jesus, you know, you got to be bold, and I really felt like I was bold. It was easy to be bold because I was so just lit up with the love of God, and I really had been transformed. But I also was in this, you know, community theater where you know the community theater is like a family. You're with them for two or three months at a time doing a play, rehearsing. But I was I was in Romeo and Juliet, and uh, (laughs) uh, Mike Webb got me to um basically bare my butt uh on stage. And I didn't think there's anything wrong with that. You know, I would I was Romeo and Juliet. I was playing Romeo. I was getting up the morning after with Juliet and I was in the the bed, you know, and I was naked and I had to get out of bed and get dressed, you know. And and so I invited all my church friends to come. Oh, and <laughs> it was one of those like afterwards where um <laughs> uh the, the the youth group leaders and stuff were like, um, hey, we need to talk about that. You know, it was it was just one of those like I didn't know I, I you know I, I was just super embarrassing and but they I really think they tried to love me well the church but they didn't know what to do with this passion they didn't know what right. to do with your involvement there and all the different people and um and temptations quote unquote so I kind of got this message that I really should just use those skills you know, in the context of, of the church inside the four walls of a building kind of yeah. thing.
0: Yeah. Yeah. And I, I wrestle with that too. I mean, I never wanted to be as an artist and a performer. People ask me when I even went to seminary, you know, are you going to do this in the church? And I always wrestle with that because I, I don't think as an artist, we should do it in the church. I think we're called to go out of the church and be faithful and, um, live countercultural lives within the artist community. Um, and, sometimes church theater and music is just bad. Uh, and so there's great, great, um, like you have quality art outside the church. Right. Um, and you can have it inside the church as well. But um, so with that, so when you were like um, figuring that out, this passion to do film work, was that always, was that always a part of your life or did you want
1: more of the, the acting aspect? You know I wanted the acting way more uh, and I I still really do enjoy acting. I love being different characters and I love expressing and finding, you know, the nuances of the complexities of people, you know. So that's really still a, a passion of mine. I mean, since I, I can remember, my first one was the 4th grade. I remember being in a play. I remember going, this is what I want to do. I remember coming to LA as a teenager and going like, wow, like I got to be here someday, you know. That's awesome. and, so I still really enjoy that. And then the funny thing was through my church I got called into a talent agency and I got representation here. Oh wow. In in the San Francisco Bay Area and I got to do a, a ton of work which was really really fun and I wrestled with that even. I I felt like I was doing something, you know, that I shouldn't be in some way. I felt like what if the church finds out that I'm, you know, going to LA. I was in a Pepsi commercial with Britney Spears one time, and I remember thinking like, oh, could I even talk about this? What would they say? And now I look back and go like, wow, I wish I would have known what I know now. Like God has freed me so much, and so like, this is your calling. I want you out in this world, and I want you to be able to love people. I've had some of the best conversations and prayer times with people in those settings. You know, sure. people that have just shared their life and I've got to share my life with them and I and I love it. So yeah, now I'm in, I'm still inside the church. I'm the worship arts pastor, you know, so it's cool. I kind of live in this tension where like what you said earlier, like we can often be expected to do art that has to have crosses or ichthuses or, or whatever. Your plays always have to have, you know, an altar call in them. But now we're just kind of trying to push the envelope a little bit and I've even invited artists from the community to participate in what we're doing and kind of say, Hey, we want to learn from you. How do you see Jesus? That type of thing. And, uh, it's been really exciting to see how that's, you know, been evolving.
0: You have a a film out, a short film. Uh, I watched it twice yesterday. It's (laughs) called, uh, 1440 and counting. Um, I loved it. When it finished, I, you can rent it for like a dollar 40 or you can purchase (laughs) it, download it for 1440, very nice i see what you did there yeah smart um but all those funds by the way go to help fund your next movie project which yes we'll get into that a little bit later cool um but once it was done i was like hold up i it's done i gotta watch that again but uh-huh. um really cool film stars uh loretta divine and she hmm. if you don't know she's been in boston public gray's
1: anatomy uh I she's currently was, on a show called The Carmichael's on NBC. That's right. Yeah.
0: Um, she's great. So tell us kind of the backstory of this film. How did you get the idea for this? Why did you want to make it? How did you make it? Um, kind of, yeah, sell us
1: on it. Man, it was a, a wild ride. You know, like I said, acting had been my thing forever. I have been doing this uh, in the San Francisco Bay Area for a while. But, you know, I'm not doing it full time. So, yeah. But in the Bay Area, we're not L.A. I'd get maybe four auditions a month, okay, and then then maybe a year. How many bookings is that? Not many, you know, two to three bookings a year. So I was just kind of feeling uh, restless, and I wanted to do something else. And a buddy of mine just challenged me, like, why don't you just make something? Make your own stuff. Start putting yourself in your own projects. So I did a couple short films where I produced and then acted in them and had other people direct them. And then finally I kind of got to this space where I thought – I think I'm ready to direct. I think I want to, or I need to, you know? And this story was sort of in my heart. Uh, I kind of married these two things in my life because uh, the story is sort of personal. It's about sacrifice. It's about someone who takes people in and doesn't always see the results, doesn't always see the people that she takes in or the kids she takes in and pours into um, flourish or make good decisions or end up being what she might think they end up should end up being. You know, and that was my story, actually. Um, a year after I came to know Jesus, uh, my family went through some really hard times. Um, there was lots of separation, divorce, and I actually found myself living in my car for a little bit. And the guys that led me to Jesus basically wouldn't let me go, you know. Uh, they wrapped me back in. Uh, and then actually, one of the pastors of the church I was a part of in Rockford, his name is Dave Bates. He's no longer... Uh, with the church. He's actually in the juvenile system leading there, which is pretty cool. But he took me in, him and his wife had only been married one month at the time. And they took me in. I was uh, 18 going on 19. And it was pretty amazing. So I took that part of my life and kind of married it with this other part of my life that was more current. When I was in California here, I was volunteering with a school. And uh, this teacher basically was really passionate for her kids. Uh, She... Here in the urban community of where I live, Redwood City, would just tell me the stories of these kids and their families, their challenges, many of them, you know, facing deportation, gangs, you know, all the different challenges of living in a uh, impoverished community, that type of thing. And she's like, I want to give these kids something special. I want to give them opportunities to act. And that, you know, got my heart. I said, like, okay, cool. What do you want to do? She's like, Shakespeare. I was like, what? You kidding me? Some of these kids are ESL students. But... She got my heart again because I loved Shakespeare, you know? So I'm teaching Shakespeare to these kids who are third and fourth graders, and I'm watching this teacher just kind of pour her life out for them. But I'm also hearing her say, like, statistically, some of them won't even graduate high school because of the challenges they're going to face. And many of them will get sucked into gangs and that type of thing. I'm like, wow. It was just kind of blowing my mind. So I started thinking about what would it be like for this teacher to retire in 40 years? You know, what would she look back on? Would she feel regret? And my hope is just like for me as a pastor, like that I don't always base my my value on the results of the people that I'm trying to help or love or pray or whatever. Uh, so I created 1440 and counting. It's about this the last day of a teacher. You know, we have 1440 minutes in a day. You know, sometimes we start counting down, saying like, oh, "I got five days left, two days left." Now I got 1400 minutes left, and then I'm done, I'm out. But her life changes in that last day, and she realizes maybe the sacrifice that she poured out, didn't turn out as she expected, but it still had an impact on somebody.
0: That's awesome. And how did you, um, I know you did a kick a Kickstarter campaign, you raised funds through that, but how did you get people together to do this project? I mean, how did you get uh, Loretta to sign on? Um, are those just personal connections or share a little bit about that backstory there?
1: Yeah, the Bay Area community is really fun. It's small and we started, you know, you start making connections and then, you start saying, like, oh, you're good at this. Like, I got a friend who's a great DP, director of photography. Uh, I made a lot of connections with people who are producers, and we just I just invited them all in. And I had no idea how to make a film, you know? I mean, I could do one on my iPhone or my little camcorder thing, but <laughs> I didn't know how to do, like, a real, you know, movie. I mean, it's still only 14 minutes long, but I'm pretty proud of the work. We raised $40,000 in one month on Kickstarter, and during uh, this time, I was connected in L.A. to a group. I have been on the SAG Awards production crew for like three years. And I met a couple guys in that work who got me connected to, uh, it's kind of like, it's fun. It's kind of like this, this group uh, of guys who love Jesus, who are in the entertainment industry, who can't be a part of regular churches, you know, they would say. It's challenging um, to get into a normal Sunday gathering because everyone goes, Oh, like you're this person, you're that person, and they get taps on the shoulders and they just want to feel like they can get together in a home and it's not, there's no expectation to talk about your job and industry. It's just about being a disciple of Jesus. So I got wrapped up into that and I met a couple friends, but one friend in particular. Uh, we just connected. His name's Josiah. And the funny thing was, like I said, this group wasn't about your identity in the industry. It was about your identity as a follower of Jesus. So we would talk about our projects, but it wasn't the main highlight of the group. It was Jesus, right? But I started doing this film and he said, hey, I'd love to help you when you get a chance to raise your money to let me know. I'm like, okay, cool. I didn't even know what that meant. I just thought it was kind of a casual thing someone was throwing out. But when I raised my money, he sent me an email. I was like, hey, this is who I think you should cast in your film. And there was three people and on the top of the list was Loretta Divine and I was like who who are you <laughs> and all of a sudden I like look him up and he's an agent one of the top 10 agencies in LA it was just just kind of blew my mind that that all happened like that and I had been a fan of Loretta since Boston Public sure and that it was like a dream come true to work that's with awesome her. do you have yeah. a
0: do you have like a favorite sequence or scene uh in the from the movie
1: Yeah. You know, I still choke up every time I go to a screening and watch it. Mm -hmm. There's this moment in the apartment where she's, you know, confronting uh, this, you know, guy from her past. And, you know, she's, she's ready. She's kind of burnt out, ready to give up and move away. And uh, this kid says, like, hey, you've helped so many people, you know, and she's like, well, I tried to help you and look what happened to you. You know, you went to jail. And, and he just kind of looks at her, and he just swallows his pride and says, I, "I got nobody else but you, and now I need your help." And she sits down and remembers, like taking him in for a second, and her husband's, you know, since died, and and she remembers going, like we were, we took you in because you were like a son to us, and that just like always gets me yeah. choked up a little bit.
0: That's awesome. Yeah, yeah. I love my. I think I love the opening sequence. It was just action packed. I wasn't expecting it. I was like, "Whoa, what am I getting myself into? Um, which was really cool to see right on. Um, and now you're doing or and well, first off, how is um how is this film taking off? I mean, it just released. um what are your plans for it? are you where is it um being shown and are you doing different um premieres and that sort of stuff? Tell us about that
1: yeah please. well, 1440 and counting is kind of kind of done now in its festival screenings, which has been cool. We got to do over twenty different film festivals, and wow. Got to go to New York uh, with HBO and BET. That was kind of the highlight of the experience. Actually, Loretta was having another film there, and she flew out a day early so she can come to this screening oh, for awesome. us, which is so cool. So we got to go to the screening together and walk the red carpet together. And I've been you know, to, like, we were in Chicago. We've been in L.A. a ton of times, a bunch of different other film festivals. Really, really fun. And now I didn't really know what the heck I was going to do with it. Like, what do you do with it? You know, like, there's all different sorts of, philosophy some people throw it up you know on youtube or vimeo if you just kind of let it live there and i thought we're still trying to raise money for this next film that starts like in five weeks where uh you know fundraising sucks man (laughs) it's hard (laughs) so i was like why not we'll just throw it up there you know get a dollar 40 for every view sure maybe that'll help us get some more money so we're just doing that i have no idea what's going to happen next i got this other film website called Film Shortage that said they could feature it on their website, um, but it would have to be for free, but it would just get us more exposure. So I don't know, to be honest, what's going to happen next. I'm just kind of navigating this kind of like, you know, on the tip of my tongue.
0: <laughs> yeah. Tell us about your next film, which is called Neighbor. Um, I'm super intrigued by this because actually in a in a couple of weeks, I'm going to be interviewing a buddy of mine who works um, with an organization in New York City uh, that has similar themes to this movie. So Tell us kind of uh, what the film is, how you got that idea, and yeah,
1: how's that that process? Love to. So Neighbor is, uh, you know, some of us might know the story of the Good Samaritan. Jesus talks about this story of a man who's sort of an unexpected good neighbor, and he tells this story, you know, in a way that makes the, the listeners think like, wow, like maybe I prejudge people and I put people in categories Um, because of their ethnicity or skin color or um, social status. And I sort of married this idea together um, with a couple different experiences in my life. Actually, when I was in Chicago, when I was at North Park University, it was during the winter of my senior year uh, on winter break, uh, I was going to a Kmart uh, to get some toiletries or something like that and I walked into the Kmart and there was this guy ringing the bell and I knew like oh he's gonna want some money I'm gonna avoid this guy so I kind of totally ignored his bell ringing and I walked into Kmart got my stuff and as I was leaving this guy uh, was ringing the bell and like in this boisterous voice as I passed like God loves a cheerful giver God loves a cheerful giver and I knew like oh man God is totally speaking to me right now. So I turned back, I gave him the coins I had in my pocket, and he's like, hey, thanks. He started just engaging me in conversation. And long story short, Herbert and I became friends. And this is like late 90s, dude. So, you know, this is before cell phones. So we would connect through a landline. He um, would call me on my landline in my... um, I lived in a house on North Park's campus, and we would meet up, and we'd go to Sizzler, oh yes oh man dude it's just this best like so he just he 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 taught me so much about my preconceived notions about uh people who are homeless you know he had a life he had a story he had a family and herbert actually won his region's fundraising for the uh the salvation army and i remember one time we were going out to lunch he's like oh lunch is on me today i was like no 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 i'm like I'm, i'm gonna pay i'm gonna pay he's like he looked at me he's like I am going to pay for lunch. And then again, one of those moments like, wow, like I'm not the one who's going to be giving him the hand. I don't, I'm not his savior. He's a human being. He wants to pay for lunch. So that was very pivotal in my life. It, it, It gave me a trajectory of wanting to connect and see people as friends, not just as projects who live on the streets. And we started a whole thing in California called Street Life Ministry because of that. And that has been a really cool story for me. But I, now I took that idea and merged it with this human trafficking passion that has sort of gripped my heart. And I thought, what if the hero of a, a human trafficking story was someone you would least expect? What if the person who saw it and wanted to do something about it when everyone else was trying to ignore it was a homeless man? And so that's the the kind of crux of the story is a homeless man witnesses these girls, these teens being harassed, kidnapped basically, and he rises up to do something about it. He almost loses his life, sort of like the Good Samaritan in the the process, he's left for dead, and then he has to kind of rise up and say, who will help me, who will see this as an issue? And, And the reality is people don't believe it. How could it happen in our suburban area? There's no way that could happen. And so uh, we're, yeah, I wrote, I wrote the story like three years ago. And it's, uh, again, another short film, hopefully my last short film before I can w- work on feature films. And we've got uh, a cool cast here too. I got the guy who's playing the lead is a guy named Bruce Beatty. And he was in the movie Straight Outta Compton, uh, another Sundance film called Dope. And he's a black guy in his 50s. And he's like absolutely perfect for the part. I'm really excited to work with him.
0: That's awesome. And wh- you guys start filming, you said in five weeks?
1: Yeah, May twenty-first. Gotcha. Right. Yeah.
0: And how long do you film? How long will the from the day you start filming
1: to you know it being finished, what how long is that process? We'll actually have f- like five days of literal production, actually filming. And then post production will, you know, editing, color correction, sound design, all that stuff, I hope will be done by the end of summer. But you know, we'll see. Uh, it all depends on our finances, and if I can pay someone to work on it solely, or if they work on it kind of on the side. We're you know, we're kind of starting to slash the budget a little bit here and there. But we'll see. I got the guy who does the the sound for Game of Thrones working Whoa. on this one again, which is pretty amazing. That's really cool. Yeah.
0: And how? Tell us. Um, tell us how like uh, you got interested. Not in human trafficking, but the injustice that is human trafficking or the reality that, I mean, your film is showing that it's in the suburbs, that it's something we almost sweep under the rug. How were you brought to the awareness of just the massive amount of people that are caught, whether it be in sex slavery or Mm -hmm. labor slavery? Mm -hmm. Um, What was that process for you?
1: When I first became a dad about nine years ago, you know, like you, Nathan, uh, a new dad, and you're up late nights, and I was trying to give my my wife a break at one in the morning, and so I was holding my daughter, and uh, we just given her 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 food. So she's asleep. I'm in the living room, and I'm like, oh, I can't go back to sleep. I'm just going to read, and someone had given me this book called Not For Sale, and I started reading it, and I just was gripped. I could not put it down. David Batstone basically tells the story of how, as a Berkeley professor, he had no idea that there were victims of human trafficking right under his nose in a very restaurant in which he would frequent every week. He was reading an uh, article in the newspaper and all of a sudden realized the the very restaurant he ate in had like 20 kids or something like that in the back room, and they got busted. And all of a sudden, he was awakened to this reality like, wow, this is happening right here in our area. So I started just kind of doing as much research as I possibly could. Uh, it wasn't just in Cambodia or wherever in, in developing countries, although that is a huge travesty as well. It's happening right here, you know, in America, right here in our picket fenced neighborhoods. And so I just got involved. Our church started doing some things here and there, but I've never been able to let it go. It could never just be like this one-time thing or the hey, we did this event, boom, now we're done. I felt like I still needed to do something. And then after doing fourteen, forty, and counting, I thought, wow, this could this is my next project. I wanna, I wanna tell a story. I wanna bring it to light. You know, when you do a film, it's cool. It just lives on for a lot longer than an event, right? Like you do all these film festival circuits, and it's like a good year of your life, two years even you're talking about it and sharing it so i'm excited to kind of bring it out into the world and we've got a, a lot of great partnerships that have joined us to help make it and that will actually want to use it for you know to tell the story to awake other people up to yeah. the issue
0: yeah one of the things you put on your um kind of in your director statement or on your, in your video that you put up on the neighbor website is kind of um the super bowl this past year how yeah there's a massive amount of um young girls that are brought to the Super Bowl for, I mean, basically to be uh, purchased for whatever it may be. So how? W- tell me about that. Like, what was your reaction? How did, I mean, I don't know a lot of people are aware of that. Um, so how did you hear about that? And how does that impact you?
1: I'm really grateful for the Bay Area Anti-Trafficking Coalition. The founders, Brian Woe, who's a, a former pastor, and Betty Ann Hagenau, basically have partnered with me and taught me so much and brought this reality to life. And they did an amazing job this year cuz the Super Bowl was in Santa Clara, which is about 20 30 minutes from where I live. And they had huge billboards around the Bay Area saying, "Hey, not in our not in our city. This is not going to happen. We are going to have high awareness and our our eyes are out there." And uh, they had like I believe something like 46 different buses where there, I think there was about 13 of those victims were under the age of 18 and missing persons. Like They were actually returned back to their families. Wow! And so that, that, that type of thing just blows your mind because you think, oh, you know, anybody who is selling their body for sex, anybody who's a prostitute, they want to be there. But the statistics are saying really like maybe one in 10 want to be there. The rest are forced. Wow. And some of the research and interviews that I've been doing for the film have just been... Really eye-opening to that. Like I talked to a woman who, you know, she's like, I I was, I was taken at gunpoint. Um, You know, her life before that was, hey, I was sort of groomed and molested and and basically taught this was my value from a a young age, from neighbors, from uncles, from grandpas. And then when the right pimp comes along and says, hey, you're mine at gunpoint, you go, okay, I guess I'm yours and I have no choice. And then the story goes on. She tries to reach out for help, even the police, some police wouldn't help her. She's even has a story of a police officer taking her around the corner and sexually abusing her and then leaving her for... I mean, just it, the stories are mind-boggling, dude, but it's out there and it's here. And my film um, specifically was sort of inspired by a story in Sacramento of a teenage girl who was living in suburbia, you know, the perfect suburban, lo- suburban life, and she was uh, kidnapped from a grocery store and sold on Craigslist on eight days, mo- raped multiple times a day until she was returned back to her family. Wow. Wow. That's
0: it's crazy. It's absolutely yeah. crazy. So um, obviously the show is called The Why Behind the What, and it seems that you are making films not because you want notoriety, not that you're trying to break into Hollywood, um, that there's something more to your films than than simply entertaining a crowd what what is it that keeps you going Um, especially because there's so many filmmakers out there or so many uh, people in the in the industry Um, why is it that you want to create these films why is it that you do what you do Mm -hmm.
1: I tried to stop man I I tried not to do it to be honest because one, it's so hard. And two, I don't even know what I'm doing half the time. So <laughs> I, I, I I think I think I know I, I think I know. I just can't I must tell these stories because this is, I really think, you know, the work of God in me. Like God has done a great work to change my life. He's opened my eyes. He 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 brought me from death to life. Like if it wasn't for him, I don't know if I, I would even be alive today. If I was alive, I would probably could be multiple, multi, I have multiple addictions and uh, I just know I would not be the healthy person that I am without him. And I believe that my call as a person, as a human being, is to help other people come alive. You know, I wanna wake people up to who they are. I want them to see that they are loved, they are valuable, but also that they have a purpose to do something in this world that's significant, that's gonna change other people's lives too. So these movies for me are so much more about telling the story, that the story is huge, I want the story to be out there, but it's also about this process, like I love the process. Even though it's so hard and I don't know what I'm doing and I feel insecure and inadequate, on a daily or minute-by-minute basis. But it's the, the clinging to God and seeing him at work in me and then the team that we're creating and the people's lives that we touch in the process. Like, that is amazing. This community is being affected because we're doing something together. And a church and nonprofit organizations and community people and artists and actors and creators are all working together. It's, it's just like something I've always dreamed about being a part of, and, and I'm so glad that I get to do it.
0: That is awesome. It's, I'm super excited for you just as this all unfolds and to see where things take you. If people want to learn more about your films or find out more about you, uh, what are some of those avenues, websites, social media, all that?
1: Yeah. You can definitely try to spell out my name, Tony Gapstone. That's kind of my thing, uh, but it's, it's easy on the web. Just go to Tony Gap, T-O-N-Y-G-A-P.com, and all my social media profiles are there, you can link to my Twitter and Facebook and Instagram and blah, blah, blah. But uh, the current film is Neighbor, neighborfilm.com. You can see who we've cast, you can learn more about the story. And if you're so inclined and generous, you, know, you can help give, that would be fantastic as well. It's all tax deductible too, which is pretty cool. And fourteen
0: and, uh, 1440 and Counting is, what's the website for that?
1: Yeah, it's on uh, Vimeo right now and it's just 1440andcounting.com and it's on demand on Vimeo. Dollar you can you can watch it once, twice, Twenty-four times.
0: There you go. And all those funds go to neighbor, correct?
1: Yeah, yeah. And we really appreciate people spreading the word. Uh, And especially if if you're an arts fan, if you're a justice fan, or if you're a film fan, there's three different avenues for you to plug into these projects. Yeah, that's awesome.
0: Well, Tony, thank you for being a part of uh, my podcast. You know, I appreciate it. Appreciate what you're doing. And not only raising awareness, but um, making an impact in people's lives. And uh, thanks for uh, spending a few minutes with me. Appreciate it.
1: Yeah, thanks for doing this podcast, man. It's awesome. No worries. My pleasure. I love it. I
0: don't know what I'm doing, but uh, I love the process. (laughs) It's fun.
1: (laughs) I love the title, The Why Behind the What, dude. That's catchy. I like it. Thanks. good.
0: Yeah, if you want to make a feature film about The Why Behind the What, we can can brainstorm. (laughs) Right on.
1: Let's do it. All right, man.
0: Thank you so much. All right, dude. And uh, appreciate it. Take care. Okay, thanks. So here's to Tony Gapastone, no gas and no piss, and his call to help others come alive. Here's to the countless ways the arts can impact one's life and one's faith. Here's to seeing people as friends rather than projects and going to sizzlers with Herbert. Here's to 1440 and Counting and Neighbor, films that awaken our souls to complex issues and injustices. And here's to the why behind the what. Cheers.